Over to the Master of Ceremonies. Uh, now let us uh, say the words, say the Buddha's words on loving kindness, the Metta Sutta. This is this what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm, wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety. May all beings be happy, whatever living beings may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be happy. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will which harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies, and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to false views. The pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense-desires, is not born again into this world. So, what shall we talk about? Shall we talk about the virtue of associating with the wise? Or shall we talk about the cost of living? Because the cost of living is fairly topical right now. You go into the supermarket and you see prices have risen. And there are a whole bunch of reasons that economists give to why that is happening. But really associating with the wise and the cost of living go hand in hand. This, from a Buddhist perspective, the cost of living means something quite different to what an economist means by the cost of living. An economist talks about prices going up. They talk about inflation. And these are conventional concepts in a conventional world. From a Buddhist perspective, the cost of living 
is old age, sickness and death. That's the price you pay for wanting to exist. The price you pay for being born again and again and again. Because this wanting to be born drives us incessantly forward wanting this, wanting that, wanting the other and the only thing certain after birth is that we get older that we experience pain, anxiety disease, illness aches and pains until such time as we die that's the cost of living that's the cost of living that as a Buddhist we should be focused on and unlike the economists that talk about monetary policy and fiscal policy that are needed to control inflation, reduce the cost of living. We have other levers that we pull in order to mitigate the suffering caused through birth and to eradicate or to be free from that suffering because that was the genius of the Lord Buddha he recognized what the cost of living was and he realized it was nothing to do with inflation it was everything to do with ignorance ignorance of the Four Noble Truths it was everything to do with wanting wanting for things not wanting things that we have wanting things we don't have wanting for sensual pleasure and attachment to all of these things attachment to the senses attachment to things that we see things that we hear things that we smell, taste and touch things that we, thoughts that we think and he realized that as these were the drivers of the cost of living then if we can find the antidote to them that we can be free from all of these various forms of suffering that we experience after birth so he took a look and said well we've got ignorance we've got which is awija in Pali tanha, wanting, desire, craving whatever English you like and upadana, attachment attachment that goes out, grabs hold of those things that we experience those things that we see those things that we're conscious of through the senses and he looked and he said, well if these are the drivers, what are, what are their opposites? what are the things that are going to break the cycle of birth, old age, state, sickness and death? and as he looked he realized that mindfulness, sati was an antidote to upadana an antidote to attachment because when mindfulness is strong we can detach that which knows the object from the object itself so we're aware of emotions as they arise 
initially we're not so good. We arrive, we, our mindfulness is such that we're aware of the emotion once it's arisen. But as mindfulness becomes really sharp, instead of being aware after the event, we're aware of the conditions which give rise to attachment. We are wise to the conditions that give rise to wanting. And so, using wisdom, we don't succumb to what are normal drivers in our normal life, where we simply respond to things that we're conscious of. But to get to that state, we have to start to suppress some of those desires, some of those sensual pleasures, because wanting for sensual pleasure is one of the five hindrances. So by using mindfulness in combination with concentration, with samadhi, we can start to narrow our attention down to a single meditation subject. And we can still the mind and give it energy. An energy which we can choose to focus on some aspect of Dharma, some aspect of the teachings of the Buddha, some aspects of the world, some aspects of reality so that we can see them in greater clarity, that we can see them in our normal daily existence. Because our daily existence, the way that we experience the world, is shrouded by a mist of ignorance. A mist of delusion and illusion. We see things but we don't see them. We see what we want to see, we hear what we want to hear. We don't stop in our normal daily life to analyse what it is that we're conscious of. We simply accept what comes through our senses and we react and respond accordingly. <coughs> but as we practice the Dhamma, that acceptance of the world starts to change and that starts to develop panya, wisdom, which is the antidote to ignorance. <coughs> Sati, samadhi and panya, mindfulness, concentration and wisdom, go hand in hand to help polish our own hearts, our own citta, our own minds to polish them because at the moment they're full of defilement because it's defilement that grows through ignorance in one's heart one's own citta, one's own heart is full of greed, hatred and delusion it's full of envy, lust, jealousy And while we have varying degrees of these defilements within us, and each has our own character, and we all have our own strong points and weak points, we all nevertheless have these defilements. And it's mindfulness concentration and wisdom that help us first of all identify what our own defilements are. Because if we can't identify them, if we can't see them when they're actually happening and know what their causes are, then we can't do anything about it. Because by the time we've cottoned on that we're angry or that we are experiencing lust or greed, by then we've already experienced it. We've created bad karma for ourselves. We've added 
to the cost of living. If we want to reduce the cost of living, we have to develop mindfulness, concentration and wisdom. Because these are the three medicines which we need to take in order to overcome an ailing heart. Our citta is full of sickness. But that's not its natural state. Its natural state is clear. The defilements are interlopers. The defilements, no one, no one can see when the defilements first occurred. No one knows when that happened. But the real nature of one's citta is not defiled. Just the same as the real nature of water is not to be salty. And yet the sea water is salty. But if we extract the salt, what we're left with is pure water. So, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, these are the tablets, these are the uh, medicines that we must take in order to help purify our minds so that we can scrub our chittas clean of these defilements which deface the citta, deface the heart and prevent its true nature from shining through. And the more we practice, the more we scrub away, the cleaner our hearts become. And that's the solution to overcoming the cost of living. As we make our hearts clearer and cleaner, as they revert back to their natural state, then the cost of living goes down. It goes down because we're developing good karma, which puts us in a position where we can, for in the first instance, where we can hear the Dhamma. It puts us in a situation where we can be in the company of wise people people who understand the nature of the conventional world that we take for granted. And when we're in the company of wise people, they will teach us the true Dharma. They will teach us the real nature of the conventional world that we live in. Whereas fools tell us things that are untrue. They get us thinking about things that are not real. They encourage us to indulge our senses instead of show restraint. And so we should avoid the company of fools and seek out only the wise. And when we seek out the wise and we learn what the true Dharma is, we learn that life is suffering, that what the cost of living is, and we learn that there's a way to end the cycle of rebirth and death that we've gone through many, many times before. That there is a break, not only a break that we can put on samsara, the round of birth and death, but there's a way to smash it completely. When we learn those things, then it causes us to have faith. Sadha in Pali. Because we can, at some level, start to understand that this is 
makes sense. That this is something we can do, we can practice, this is something which we can achieve. Because the Lord Buddha went before us, and these wise men went before us. And if these wise men, who we have trust and faith, now we, now we have faith in them too, then we should follow them. Not follow blindly, but if what they say stacks up and all of our experiences fall in line with what they're saying, then why wouldn't we believe them? However, if our own experiences differ, and we can't explain what the difference is, then maybe the people that we thought are wise are not so wise, after all. Or maybe we've le reached our limit with the amount that we can learn from them. That was certainly the case with the Buddha, where he went to several teachers before he actually became enlightened himself. And each one taught, each teacher taught him a little bit more. But he, in, in the end, None of them could teach him exactly what he wanted to know, so he abandoned all of them. But he didn't mean, it, it's not that he didn't appreciate them. Quite the opposite. Some of them became his own disciples afterwards, and he taught them to become enlightened. So, we judge by our own experience the words that these wise people speak. Do they ring true? And if they ring true, then we follow them. And when we develop our faith, then we start to see the need for sense control. We start to see that if we let our minds just go about their own business without any type of restraint, they flit about all over the place. They jump from one thought to another, to another, to another, from one sense object to another, to another, like a monkey jumping from branch to branch. And that just dissipates and wastes our mental energy Whereas what we want to do now is to harness our mental energy by focusing it on a specific aspect of the Dharma or a specific aspect of reality. So we realize the need for sense restraint so that we don't send our mind out here, there and everywhere and we know when we sit in meditation that if we send our mind off thinking this, thinking that, thinking of the past, imagining the future, listening to sounds, that all that's external, all that arises and passes away, it's not the mind itself. So we start to see a reason for now starting to practice mindfulness. And so we start to become more aware of what we are saying, what we are doing, and what we are thinking. And as we develop this awareness, and as we develop some degree of mindfulness, we can see the need then to actually structure that mindfulness. we can see that if we direct mindfulness towards the four foundations of mindfulness, then wisdom can arise. Because the four foundations of mindfulness, being body, feelings, our mind or citta, and the Dhamma itself, headings of Dhamma, like examining the five khandhas, or the, uh, the five hindrances, or the seven factors of enlightenment. That they, that investigation itself will bring the kind of wisdom that we believe that our wise associates 
have developed for themselves. So we're following in their footpath, in their footsteps. So as we develop the four satipatthana, then we form the foundation for enlightenment. Because what feeds into the seven factors of enlightenment is a rigorous practice of the four satipatthana. And those four satipatthana themselves have their own foundation, even if we think about you know, meditating on a body, whether we see it as parts of the body or as elements or as uh, being loathsome. Or we meditate on death, or we meditate on feelings. Those meditation subjects themselves are underpinned by having a foundation established in charity, in giving, in generosity, and a foundation of virtue, sila, keeping one's precepts. These are the two things which provide a solid foundation for mindfulness itself. And through the development of that mindfulness of the body or feelings or watching the mind as thoughts arise and pass away, seeing everything as being impermanent, as being suffering, as being not self, not owned by anyone, not under the control of anyone. Seeing whatever arises and passes away is just a sabhava dhamma. It's just something which is natural. It occurs, goes its own way, and nothing and no one is in charge of it. Whatever experience we have, nothing and no one controls it. Then when we start to practice in this way, then some of the higher levels of the the seven factors of enlightenment start to to, uh, mature. We've already started with mindfulness. As we become more experienced and we start to see things for ourselves, then we start to put in more effort as we investigate the Dhamma through mindfulness, through concentration and through wisdom. We become satisfied with it. It becomes interesting. And when meditation is interesting, then the mind will stick with the meditation subject. And then that starts to develop calmness, lightness. When you do anapanasati meditation and you focus on the breath going in and going out, and then the next stage you start to feel all the bodily sensations become light, settle down instead of being disturbed and stressed and tense. Then you start to feel the mental energy calming down like sediment falling to the bottom and then water becoming clear. That calmness that we talk about then, that's asadi. The lightness, the calmness that we now start to feel, it's a factor of enlightenment. And I've talked about samadhi, concentration, And finally, upika, an equilibrium. 
equanimity. It's no surprise that equanimity is the last of the factors of enlightenment. It's also the last of the um, of the of the ten perfections, because it's only an arahant or the Buddha that is truly equanimous, and it's this that we should strive for. So that when we look at the cost of living, we don't look at it as being good or bad or indifferent. We simply see it as being sapaudhamma, natural phenomena that arise and pass away. We don't show any attachment. We don't show any interest other than understanding what is its cause and how to eliminate that cause because that's the Four Noble Truths which form the basis of Buddhism. And that's what the wise men will teach you about the cost of living. And that's it for me for now. Thank you. So, now we'll sit for half an hour. So, as I said, with Anapanasati. Anapanasati, the mindfulness of breathing. <clears throat> it's a meditation subject which is suitable for all. And that's why it's commonly practiced. And to focus your attention, just close your eyes. And even with your eyes closed, just pretend that you're focusing on a spot just in front of your nose and just in front of your upper lip. Just as if your eyes were looking at that spot. Just focus your attention. Now as you start to breathe in and breathe out, keep your attention at that spot but also feel, now feel the breath. Wherever the breath is touching, just be aware of that feeling. just as the breath comes in and goes out comes in goes out keep that focus just in front of you watch the feeling breath coming in Breath going out. Just feel the breath slowing down. Maintain that focus just in front of the nose or the upper lip, but still be aware of that feeling. As the breath slows down, don't be concerned. Even if the breath stops, you won't die. Oops.
So just watch the breath. Come in and go out. Feel the whole bodily sensation. Start to relax. Feel your shoulders relax. Your chest relax. Your arms relax your legs relax. Just breathe it naturally. Feel that relaxation go through your body. Feel that mental energy that's been jumping around all day long. Feel that relaxed. Feel your mind becoming light. All the stresses and strains disappearing.
Now we're just coming towards the end of our practice. So just take time. Feel that relaxation. <clears throat> Feel that calmness flow through your mind and your body. To, <clears throat> to retain that mindfulness. So that that mindfulness could be a tool to use when meditation is finished. Gradually come round. Start to feel your body sitting in meditation. Feel the posture. Feel the energy flowing through your arms and legs. And then come round in your own time. In your eyes. So, as usual, no one's got any questions, I'm sure. <laughs> Can this be predictable? In a world of uncertainty, is this the most certain thing that no one's got any questions? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> How's the economic outlook? How's the economic outlook here? I believe that they've turned around and saying it's looking good now. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Well, let's, let's hope that everyone here's uh, economic outlook is, uh, is good too. <laughs> I might get another. Let's put my water there. Chanting. So, to the Master of Ceremonies. Now let us take the verses of sharing in aspiration. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all the virtuous leaders of the world, May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, 
God is spirit of the earth and the Lord of death. May those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing, May all desires and attachments quickly cease, and all powerful states of mind, and until I realize Nibbana, in every kind of birth, may I have an upright mind, with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve, that the Buddha is my excellent refuge, unsurpassed is the protection of the Dharma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord, the Sangha is my supreme support. Through the streaming power of all the peace, may the darkness and delusion be dissolved. Okay, thank you for coming. <laughs>